And I'm going to take you to the word of the Lord uh, tonight to a familiar passage, should be a very, very familiar passage uh, for us. John chapter 1 and verse 1. Most of you in hearing that particular scripture uh, probably are already quoting that scripture. Uh, if you've been around the church any length of time, uh, you've seen this many times. But uh, I'm going to use this scripture uh, tonight as kind of a foundation to step into uh, what I felt like the Lord wanted to say to us uh, on tonight. So John chapter 1 verse 1 said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm jumping to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, in fact, was God. That Word was then made flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Our connection to His glory was, is, and forever will be tied to His Word. Amen? So tonight I want to talk to us about rediscovering the Word. Rediscovering the Word. I was thinking this week when Pastor texted me and asked me to get ready for this service um, I, I, I started trying to find the mind of God, and I was thinking this week about how greatly God moved for us here on Sunday. What a great move of the Spirit. What a great uh, atmosphere was in this place, and some great things were spoken to us in this house on Sunday, and I was giving God praise for that, and I was thanking Him and even petitioning Him that He would continue to manifest his presence to us because that's really what this thing is about. It's about coming together in the manifested presence of God and seeing what God will do with us and through us and for us as we worship and glorify and lift up his name. And I was praying that we would be able to continue in this great vein of the spirit that we are flowing in right now because uh, we have truly been in a good little season of God trying to stir us up and move us up and call us up for quite a little while now. And in my prayer, I was saying things like, Lord, let your spirit be our supreme focus and don't allow us to get our eyes off of you and get distracted in this moment and allow us to sink back into the mundane or our pattern or our routine or our rituals. But God, help us to truly be an apostolic church with apostolic outpourings and apostolic miracles and power. Let us be a place where people come and leave different. Let us be a place where people know that they can find you and you can make 
the difference. Not for our programs, not for what we can put together, not for our giftings, not for our abilities, but people can come and find you and be changed by the power of your great spirit. This was what I was praying this earlier this week. Lord, keep us connected to what you are doing. Keep us plugged in, but don't let us be satisfied with here. Take us deeper. Show us more. Give us more. Build us, shape us, mold us, make us. Let us not be satisfied with anything less than a real, tangible encounter with you. And immediately in my prayer while praying that, God spoke some pieces of a scripture to my heart. And this is what I heard him say. My people have forsaken me and turned to sisters. So I recognized that scripture. I didn't quite know where it was, but I recognized that scripture. So I got my phone and I got on Google and found out where it was. And it's Jeremiah 2 and 13. And this is what the scripture says. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, there's a whole, whole, whole lot of preach in this scripture, and we could get hung up here all night if not careful, but I'm going to try to you know, say a couple things and move on to what the rest of what the Lord wants to say tonight. But God used that scripture to kind of direct me towards what I want to talk to you tonight. First of all, there are two wrongs or two evils that are committed here. The first one is a forsaking, and the second one is a false confidence. One separates us from the source while the second is satisfied with just a supply. And God said, the key to what you are praying for and what you are asking for is to avoid the two evils. Don't forsake me or the source and replace it with confidence in yourself satisfied with a supply. And immediately my mind went to our spiritual disciplines because none of us would purposefully or intentionally or willfully forsake God. At least not in some overt or over-the-top or out-in-front and obvious way. Yet every day we are bombarded with things and issues and situations that calls us to, in fact, forsake Him. See, it's easy to come into the worship service and sing with the praise team. I just want a touch of your presence. I just want a taste of your goodness. I just want to be with you. It's easy to come in when it's grooving and everything's happening and all of that's moving. But what about Monday? And Tuesday, when God desires your time and God desires your fellowship, but we're too busy and we're too preoccupied with our 
life and stuff and clutter and ball practice and homework and supper needs cooked or the internet or surfing the web to see the latest on social media and we neglect or we put off or we forsake him. Not, I don't want anything to do with him, but it's just that simple Everything else gets in the way. Everything else stops me. Oh, yeah, it's great to sing the song, but then we have the opportunity every day to enter into his presence, to keep a relationship with what he said was a fountain of living water, a talk with the source, a talk with the master. But because... We forsake him, we try to live on what we gathered up on Sunday, the supply. And that's where we get caught in the trap of committing the two evils. It's, well, I'm going to be okay. I can make it today. I'll get to it tomorrow. Forsake there is a zob in the Hebrew. At its most fundamental level, it means this, to loosen up. Anybody ever told you that? You guys need to just loosen up. That's so intense. I had some kids, one of our one of our co-teachers, they, they talked him into showing some clips. They found some clips of me preaching on YouTube. And they're like, Mr. Hodge, you are like crazy. You are intense. Do you ever loosen up when you talk to your people? No. My God, no. At its most fundamental level, forsake here means to just loosen up. Just let go a little bit. Not totally throw it aside. Just loosen up. But at its most intense, it means to abandon. And see, it's in the loss of our spiritual disciplines that we commit these two evils that Jeremiah it's talking about, we sometimes see it as just loosening up. Take the pressure off. Man, you'll be okay if you miss today. You'll be all right. You'll make it. But what we call loosening up, God calls abandonment. No time to pray. No energy to fast. No hunger for his word. And in neglecting those things, we in fact forsake him because we feel confident that we can make it without those things. But I want you to understand tonight, God never designed us to be containers of his spirit. Right? He never designed us to be containers of his spirit. In fact, he said, out of you would flow and uninterrupted and unbroken and unstopped flow of his spirit like a river through us and out of us, a constant source from which to draw and also distribute. See, that's the plan and design of God, to be linked with us and to us and through us daily. Not a container system. 
not a filler-up Sunday. Top it off on Wednesday and putter-sputter in here next week to get another dose to keep me going. You understand what I'm saying tonight? Putting in on fumes because we're about to die. How many of y'all drive that vehicle with that gas light on saying, oh, Jesus, let me get there. Amen. Praise God. So tonight, I want to focus in on one of those spiritual disciplines and attempt to rekindle something in us tonight, to at least remind us tonight of its importance and to encourage those of you that haven't yet to never lose your love of his word. Here it is tonight, simply said. Familiarity is the enemy of delight. Things that once sparkled, things that were once new, things that once captivated our attention and our passion, you know, that must-have thing that we couldn't wait to get a hold of, right? Maybe it's that boat, guys. Maybe it's that really expensive purse. Whatever it was, it was that, I got to have it. I need it. But after a while, it becomes dull, old, mundane, because it becomes familiar, and it becomes common. I recently heard someone say that Jesus could not have been God because they read in the Bible where he, Jesus, the fleshly tabernacle of God, went to his hometown, and he could not do mighty works among them. And so they supposed or they surmised from reading that that God would never be limited. And so if Jesus was in fact God, he would have never been limited and thus would have been able to perform anything that he pleased to do. But what they missed was the entire point of the scripture to begin with. That was not there, and that's not in the Word to weaken Jesus or cause doubt of His Lordship. It's there to teach you and me and for our admonition to warn us and alert us to be very careful. Because the truth was, Jesus was working everywhere else. He was healing the sick. He was casting out devils. He was raising the dead. He was preaching the kingdom. He was rebuking the religious. He had followings of thousands upon thousands. He was worshipped. He was sought to be made an earthly king. Everywhere else, people were flocking to him. In fact, he was nearly trampled at times because the crowd pressed so strong against him. But at home, Ah, oh, that's just Joseph's boy. That's just Mary's son. Just the carpenter's apprentice waiting to take over the family business. They had known him all along. 
They had watched him from a child. No doubt they had seen the differences in him through the years. I'm sure they remembered the time that he was left at the temple and at 12 years old was baffling the scholars and the theologians with his knowledge and his wisdom. I'm sure they had heard Mary tell that story of the visiting angel at Christmas time over and over and over again. But somewhere over the years and somewhere over time, it all got common. It all got familiar. We've heard this, and it robbed them of their awe, and it robbed them of their wonder, and it robbed them of their understanding of who he was. And the gift that was entrusted to them to present to the world just had no luster anymore. So I've come tonight to try to stir up our hearts on this Wednesday night Bible class. And I know my audience tonight because, you know, we're the ones that's here. Yeah, on Wednesday night. Right? We love him. We want to draw closer to him. We came to Wednesday night Bible study. Right? (laughs) And God has been doing mighty things for us and we've been... In a season of revival and word after word has been given. Have you been paying attention to what the preachers have been saying from this pulpit about what's in store and what's ahead and what's coming? I'm pretty excited about that. Amen. And the promises of God just sit right out in front of us right now. But I want you to know tonight if we're going to be what God is calling us to be, we have got to inspect the foundation. We've got to go back into our own spiritual lives and make sure that the foundation upon which we're building is solid and it's secure and it's able to withstand the hour in which we live. Why? Because the greatest structures are rendered worthless and become nothing but rubble and ticking time bombs if they have faulty foundations. Don't you think, don't you just think, just logically and with a little common sense, you know, the hardest sense to come by, that if it took an hour of prayer and a couple of days fasting and a daily dose of reading his word 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, what do you think it's going to take in this crazy day that we live in today? We cannot do less and expect more. Come on, somebody. This world has gone teetotal crazy. And some of us have gone with it. Because we think we can compete with it without him. Come on now. I didn't come tonight with any doom or gloom. I believe God's church is a glorious church. I believe just what Brother Bustard said, that that we're a force that's not going to be trampled on by the devil. I believe that with all of my being. I believe tonight that the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church of the living God. I believe this is the greatest force that is in the earth today. 
But let me sound a warning. The winds are blowing. The storms are brewing. And the furnace is being turned up because what you and I sense and what you and I understand and what we feel happening in this hour, the devil himself also knows. And he's kicked it into overdrive. And he's kicked it into high gear because he knows that our time is about to expire. And our feet are about to give way to the laws of gravity. And we're about to get out of here. And he's working overtime. Before that's going to happen, we're going to have to get sharper than ever, stronger than ever, more grounded, more rooted than ever. God is calling us simply tonight back to our first love. He's calling us back to undivided affection. See, that's... That scripture, Colossians 3, 2, it says, set your affection. Most quote it wrong. They don't mean to. They just heard it wrong so long. Set your affections. They got it on the screen. No, it is a singular affection because God is not going to share with anything else. He wants your whole heart, your whole soul, your mind, your strength. He wants everything, all of your affection set on things above, not on things below. And he's calling us back to that, a singular affection that is after him. He's calling us back to prayer. He's calling us back to fasting and his word. So I'm going this direction tonight, and I'm teaching this lesson because I fear that we are losing one of our most basic love indicators, and that is our love to spend time in His Word. Our text tonight, John 1, if you understand it, God is His Word. In the beginning was the Word, or you could flip that, it's correct, or the Word was. In the beginning was the Word, or simply the Word was. The Word of God just was. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If that literally means what it says, then we should easily be under, able to understand. Every time you walk by your Bible, you are walking by God. Every time you hold your Bible, you are holding God. Here's the big one. Every time you neglect your Bible, you are neglecting God. Uh-oh. Now let's sing. I just want to touch on your presence. I just want to taste of your goodness. Just want to be with you. 
Really? Do we? Yet we can't find time to get in his word. And then we wonder, why have we seen a decline in miracles and healings? Why don't people get the Holy Ghost every time we come together? Why don't we baptize somebody every time we come together? And I fear it's because maybe we have become a little too familiar and a little too common. And we've lost our love of his word. But I believe tonight there's going to be a rediscovery for us that have come to this Bible class. Let me share with you one of my foundational scriptures. And I'll tell you why this scripture remains very special to me. Psalms 119 and 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. When I was about 15, the Lord really started moving on me. I was feeling differently than I'd ever felt before. I received the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old, went to church every time the doors were open, sang in the church, led singing before I was even a teenager in the church, did what they would let me do. But somewhere about 15 in that year of my life, I really started to get serious about God. And I couldn't explain it at the time, but now I know, looking back, God was calling me into my ministry and what he wanted me to do with my life. But all of a sudden during this season and this time, I began to feel very, very dirty, very, very unclean. Uh, I felt unworthy of God's visitations with me and very ashamed of myself. And I didn't understand it because I thought I was doing everything that I had been taught to do. I thought that I was meeting the measuring stick, if you will. I was meeting the mark. But I just felt that there was more and that there was something that needed to get right. And I prayed for God to cleanse me and make me strong and lead me into the things he was showing me. And this is the scripture that he gave me at 15 years old, and it's still one of my foundational scriptures, and I revisit it often in my life. How can I cleanse my way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. One meaning of the word take heed is to tighten up. Just a few minutes. Rewind back. One of the most fundamental meanings of the word forsake is to loosen up. But taking heed in its most uh, uh, down to the foundation sense means to Tighten up. Let's don't get ahead of ourselves until we understand what he's saying here. He's not just saying, as many will quickly assume, take heed to the word or tighten your grip on the word. He's really more specifically saying, 
Take heed to your ways. Tighten up your ways. Tighten up how you're acting. Tighten up what you're doing. Tighten up on what you're not doing. Tighten up on where you're going. Tighten up on where you're not going, etc. According to the word, or in accord with, or in agreement with his word. What he's saying is, you've got to match your ways up against his word. Personal inspection. Personal examination. Not based upon what I think, but based upon what his word has declared. Here's the revelation. I don't read the word to find out what's wrong with you. (laughs) I read the word to find out what's wrong with me. And we've got a lot of people who can run around and play judge to everybody else. But they are seriously devoid of the ability to assess their own selves because they won't lay their life down beside his word. See, everybody wants to be saved, but not many are sincere enough to measure their ways against his word. And that's why you have people who don't really know who they are. And they don't know what they believe. And they have no direction. And they're blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine because their ways don't align to biblical principles. See, the enemy works in darkness. Darkness is ignorance or a lack of knowledge. So something has to come along and shine a light on the darkness. What is it? Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. See, the first and primary function of the word of God is to lead you out. It takes you out of where you are and into God's will for your life. It shows you the way out. When you start feeling that, when you start feeling like there's more, when you start feeling like I need to do something else, the Word of God comes along and is the illuminating agent to show you the way to get where you're trying to go. And once the path has a light on it, it's pretty simple. You just got to follow the path. At 15, I locked myself in a room. I started digging into the Word. And this is, this is the Bible that I use. I've had it recovered, and it looks a little better than it used to because it was falling apart. But there's literally pages that you can't even read because it's marked up so much, and it's got so much stuff in there. And, and I would never, ever, ever, ever. I was really nervous when I sent it all the way to California to be recovered because I thought, what if they lose that? I couldn't have bought $10 million worth of insurance to cover that, to go back to what those times meant. But when I locked myself in my room and I started digging into his word, a light started coming on. 
And I stopped doing some things that the light revealed to me I needed to quit. Not only did I quit doing some things that it revealed to me, but there were some things shown to me that I realized I wasn't doing that I needed to do. So I started doing them. It's not always about the taking away. It's sometimes about the adding to. Amen. Praise God. And I realized my prayer was getting easier. And I realized I started feeling strength. And I started feeling power. And I started witnessing to people. And I started bringing people to church. And I was gaining tools as I was growing in an understanding of his word. Why doesn't this happen to everyone? Why do some never leave their bondage? I understand it today. I didn't quite understand it then. It's because they never go beyond the word being a lamp and a light. That's its first purpose. They examine themselves against his word, but they like their ways too much, and they just turn the light off. You ever encountered someone, you showed them something in the word of God? But they were just so rooted and grounded in what they thought and what they believed. They just couldn't allow themselves to believe it. I see it, but I just can't, I just can't let myself believe it. I had a man, a pastor one time, had a man one time. He, 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 didn't, he never understood Jesus' name baptism. He never got it. He never would let himself. He saw it. I know he saw it. But his mama wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. And he said... If, if, if my mama ain't there, nobody's there. And she was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I just can't, if I accept what you're saying, preacher, my mama's not going to be there. To which I tried my best to say, I can't answer for your mama. Your mama's going to stand for God on what she knew. I don't know what mama's heard or hasn't heard, Okay. I'm just telling you, to whom much is given, much is required. And you've heard the revelation, and you have an understanding. And now you're going to be required to answer to God for what you've heard and what you know. Never let me baptize him in Jesus' name. Just couldn't let go. The light came on. But when it was measured against his ways, it was too hard to accept. So just turn the light off. And he never got, and people like that never get the tools necessary to break out of their prisons. Because the same word that illuminates the path will then become tools that you need to follow it. Watch this. Jeremiah 5.14 declares this. God's word will be like a fire in your mouth. And that fire shall devour the enemies that arise in front of you. He further says in 23 and 29 that not only is the word a fire that will devour wooden enemies, but it's like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Why is this? What is he teaching? Some enemies are more stubborn than others. Ooh, you get a good Holy Ghost move. You get a good fire kindled up. You get a good service moving like we had in here Sunday, and the fire of the Spirit is moving. There's some enemies right in that moment.
boom, they're going to be consumed. They're going to be burned up because they can't stand in the fire. But others will remain until you have the tools to drive them out. Not everybody melts and not everybody falls at the falling of the fire. And there's enemies that may have been blocking you and hindering you for years. And you come in and you have a move like we have, one encounter with the fire, and they're gone. But then there's others they are a little more deep-rooted. And even though the fire has fallen, you look around and they're still there. <laughs> but the same word that dispelled the first enemy will destroy the other enemies as well. It may take a few swings of the hammer. It may take some work on your part, but they will come down. They will fall. Because here's, here's, here's what it is. I hope I can explain this. I hope I, hope I can make this make sense. The first word you get is from him. When you go to the altar and you are sincere and you're ready to repent and you're ready to get free and you're ready to get right with God and you're ready to come clean, those tongues of fire, sounding like us, will fall on you and the immediate enemies that would like to keep you bound are going to be burned up right then and there through the first word, the word that God gives you that comes out of you when you're sincere and ready to give everything to him. That's why it's cloven tongues like as a fire. It's, I can't understand it. I don't even know what it's saying. I don't even know what it's speaking. But my enemy does. And everything that's trying to keep me bound understands this is greater than me. This is bigger than me. And I've got to let them go. And I've got to get lost. That's why we want you to talk in tongues. We want the fire to fall and speak out of you and through you and to that that's got you bound. But that's just the supernatural act of deliverance. Y'all know, de y'all know deliverance is more than a supernatural act at the altar. Deliverance requires me to get up from that altar and then go walk in what God has done for me. Y'all remember when they were in the prison and they began to sing and the earthquake came and everything shook and everything came open and the chains fell off? Nothing picked them up and took them to the outside of that prison. It took care of every obstacle. It took care of every lock. It took care of every chain. But they had to physically get up, put their shoes back on, and walk out of that prison. Oh, I don't ever want to diminish the power of the Holy Ghost and the work of the supernatural. But there's some things that you're going to have to get a grip on what he's done for you and walk through it until you can walk out of it. Oh, the second word comes from you. The supernatural work was a word you didn't even know. God just spoke that through you. God said, I'm going to help you. You're sincere. 
you mean business with me, and I'm going to help you. And he talks through you, and everything that's trying to hold you and tell you you can't has to give up and let you go. But he said, if you're going to go on and do great things for me, you've got to know me. You've got to get in my word, and you've got to learn of me. Daniel 11:32 said it like this, And they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. First, you got to know him. There comes that moment of encounter, of knowing him. Then you've got to become something, and then you will do something. Everybody wants to do. You got no problem finding folks who want to do. Yeah, I want to do that. But before you do, there is a process you must go through. A process of knowing, that's word, working together. A process of becoming, that's the second word. That first word and that second word work together to get you to those great things that God's got out in front of you. See, the first one comes from him, but the second one has to come out of you. From what you put in. Here it is, those weights, those habits, those desires that you've created and cultivated in your life, they're only coming down when you start swinging this hammer. They didn't get there overnight, right? And you got to have something strong to take them. And once you break down those keeping enemies, because that's what they are, they're those strongholds, they're those keeping enemies, Right? What does Scripture say? Lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset you. When you chase it back, there's just that seems to be that one thing that always trips us up. Uh, a lot of weights, but the sin, singular, the sin. Think about that. When you start to step out in faith, you'll find that the hammer becomes another weapon. It ceases to be a hammer when you start operating in faith because Ephesians 6, 17 introduces us to the sword of the Spirit. All of this, my friends, is this, the Word of God. It's sharp. It's two-edged. It's the only weapon of offense given in the armor of God. It has no adversarial equal, and it will never fail. But you must learn how to use it. You've got to understand it because it is an extension of the inward for an outward battle. Because just like the sword is sheathed and ready at your side in times of peace, you can't be walking around as a soldier and somebody jumps out for battle and say, hang on a minute, let me go get my sword. He's going to cut you down right there. If you're a true soldier, your sword is on your side. You're ready to go. It's the word in you ready to protect you when needed. In times of peace, when it's all going good and the Lord's blessing us and the Lord's moving like he is now, that's the time to invest in his word. That's the time to gobble this thing up. That's the time to load up, to get armed and ready. Because in battle, 
It's got to be ready to be pulled. David taught us the principle. Psalm 119 and 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word hid is sawfan in the Hebrew. I sound smart tonight, don't I? Sawfan in the Hebrew. It's interesting because when you look at it, I love words. When you look at it, it can either be a negative or a positive word. It can mean something good or it can mean something bad. That word, hid, sawfan, in its negative sense, means to deny or disregard. Going back to forsaken. Okay, we're, all, we're still in the same Still in the same lesson, right? But the positive connotation is best translated as esteemed or protected. And the only way to know what the writer intends is you've got to look at it in context of the thought. How do you see it based on the story or the image the author's trying to convey? So when we see David in the context, he's trying to tell us that by hiding the word, He's trying to avoid sin. Therefore, we could conclude from David that he's writing positively. And he's teaching us that an unesteemed word or an unprotected word in your heart will cause you to error or sin against God. Hear me tonight. You may have read the word a million times. But if you don't esteem it or protect it, it will go right to your heart, which the Bible declares to you is deceitfully wicked. <coughs> Not intentionally wicked, deceitfully wicked. Wicked by trickery or underhandedness. That's why we don't live for God by how we feel. Because our feelings can be deceiving, even when our intentions are right. Man. So that unprotected word or that unesteemed word goes to the heart, and it starts mixing and combining with our own ideals, our own ways, our own personalities, our own proclivities. And the next thing you know, you look up, and you've been reading the word, but you're a million from God. And though you've read your Bible and you have a functional knowledge of it, it's not keeping you. Can I tell you tonight that it's probably because we have lost our esteem, our reverence, our love, our wonder, our awe. And we become like those that are so familiar with Jesus that he isn't special he isn't the wonder that he should be. And without intention, but through deceit, our own lying heart, we look at his word and we deny it or we disregard it. And we find it dusty on the table, unopened in months. While we're out surfing the web, checking the latest social media, getting caught up on the gossip, can tell you everything. Saw everybody's happy Sunday today. I told Amy before church, I didn't even know if such a thing of a son's day existed until Facebook came along. Who did? Nobody did. 
You celebrate a day every day on Facebook. Somebody's getting celebrated every day. <laughs> but this stays dusty on the shelf or the coffee table. We reach to grab it, but the magazine cover that it's, it's sitting on is, is too colorful and too, too enticing. So we, we slide it aside and we get what's under it and we look for the latest recipe. And we say, I'll read it later. I'll get to it. I'll catch up on my reading program tomorrow. I'm not too far behind. Shoot, some of the people in church, they ain't reading that reading program. They get that certificate every year. They ain't really read that. I, know, I, just, I, just, I just know it. Just deep in my heart, I know it. They ain't reading. They're not reading either. <laughs> and we lose our love for his word because it becomes common. And it becomes familiar. And no mighty things are happening in our lives. And God is losing his, 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 his beauty and his glory. But God's calling us back tonight to a love of his word. Back to an understanding that before he was flesh, he was this word. And how you treat this word is truly how you treat Jesus. And we've come here and we can't break through in worship sometimes or in prayer. And it seems like Jesus is a million miles away. Maybe, just maybe it's because all week we've been denying him and disregarding him. Let me show you something. Matthew 4.4, 4, and I know we're getting close to time and I will be finished. Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread there is artos in the Greek, and it means bread. It's deep. More specifically, it means raised bread or leavened bread or bread with yeast in it. Bread that has been lifted up. Artos is a noun, but it comes from the root ario, which is a verb that means a lifted voice. So understanding the words tonight, we can see the principle that's being taught, and that is this. You can't live on the highs of Sunday service. You can't live on just your shout. You won't survive by learning the groove to the latest worship song. You won't survive by learning how to move to the beat of the music, but your survival will be on every word which is rhema, which is most correctly translated as every utterance or command that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, the charismatics have tried to pervert this scripture. And they want to tell you that much of the Bible is outdated. And you don't need everything that's in here anymore because God is speaking new things. They could not be any more wrong. See, they conclude that an ETH means that more or better instruction is coming. But when you really understand English, you'll find what it really means is every word that has ever been spoken is being spoken 
or will be spoken is already here. It isn't dealing with more word or future word to the extent that everything else is nullified. No, this is what it means. The further we go, the more we will be responsible for. The closer we get, the more word we will have to hide. Why? Because the days are getting more evil and men are becoming lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasures more than God, but there's still a word that's been forever settled in heaven, and when the heavens and the earth have passed away, this word will still be settled, and it will still be standing. And I just believe tonight that God is speaking new things to his church, but it will never contradict or violate his holy writ. And the only way we can avoid being destroyed in the last days is to hide it and protect it and love it. And I believe tonight that that's what God is after from us, a rediscovery of his word, to return to reverence and all of it. If you don't love this word, which is your daily bread, how would you expect God to give you anything further? How you treat this is how you truly treat him. Will you stand with me tonight? Lord, I thank you for what you've spoken in this house tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these dedicated and sweet people, Lord, that belong to this church, that call you, Lord, that are here today, God, because they love you and they are hungry, Lord, to do more for you and see you do greater things among us. I pray, God, tonight that somewhere in all of this, a new understanding of how precious your word is would grip each and every one of us. And that when we walk away from this place, God, we'll have a new hunger and a new desire, Lord, for the things that are written in your holy law. God, give us a fresh revelation. Give us a fresh relationship. Give us a fresh appreciation, God, for the things that you have given us so we can be equipped for the things that you want to give us. I ask this tonight, and I pray this over this sweet congregation in Jesus' name tonight. Amen.